With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. No! Oh, my God. How could he do that? Are you on Donate? What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are joining all of you who are maybe with us live through a different medium. We've decided to make some changes over here at Nerd Sesh Inc. At least for a bit, we're going to try instead of streaming on YouTube Twitch, and hopefully Twitter as well, so we can just sort of let our video essays go ahead and breathe over there on YouTube. So there you have it, bit of an update. We also cleared our YouTube channel of the pods, just so we've got a little bit of a cleaner look, you know, so newcomers, they feel welcomed in. So there you have it, a little bit of a life update from us here at Nerd Sesh. But today's menu, Logan, features some good old-fashioned NFL playoff talk, because here we are on a Tuesday evening. We are through Wild Card Weekend, and we're going to talk about every game and give some of our major takeaways from, obviously, the winners as they move on, and then, of course, what we saw from the losers, where they stand. We're not going to start previewing this upcoming weekend slate of games. We'll do that on our live show on Blaze Radio on Friday. But with that, Logan, we're just going to go in the order of games that I want to here, okay? We're going to start, though, with the most recent one, which was Rams-Cardinals, a 34-11 drubbing in LA's favor, of course. What were some of your major takeaways from that one? Uh, well, first, uh, I, I kind of want to get into, I, I don't know, people taking big things away from this uh, about Cliff Kingsbury, about Kyler Murray. Um, I do think it's concerning how the Cardinals finished this season, Carson, right? I mean, they were the hottest team in the NFL to open up the year. They were the team that was uh, undefeated the longest in the NFL. It looked like they could maybe go on a deep run. And, how they finish this season is concerning, especially with Cliff Kingsbury's track record, uh, courtesy of a YouTube comment section. In games one through seven in his career at Texas Tech and with Arizona, he's 42-20-1. In games eight and up the rest of the season at Texas Tech and in Arizona, he's 16-43. and It is concerning a little bit, but, you know, I don't think this was... So many people took this Carson as Cliff Kingsbury needs to go. He's not a real NFL coach. He can't do this in the NFL. Like, 
I think that's bogus. I, I think you're stupid if you have that opinion. No offense. Like, I, I think Cliff Kingsbury is an excellent offensive coach. Maybe you don't trust him as a leader of men, per se, but I trust him to scheme up offense. Because I'm putting this loss completely and solely on the shoulders of Kyler Murray and nobody else. Like, I, this might have been the worst game I've ever seen from Kyler. And I don't think you can solely attribute it to DeAndre Hopkins being out. Yes, it matters. Yes, he is way better with D-Hop on, on the field. In games with DeAndre Hopkins on the, uh, on the court, on the field, Kyler does for 270 yards per game, has a completion percentage of 69%, and has a career 45 TDs and 21 picks. Without D-Hop, his yards per game decreases by 40, his completion percentage drops by 5%, and in his career he has 25 TDs to 13 picks. So yes, obviously he's going to be worse without D-Hop. But like... I don't know, man. It felt like to me, Carson, you tell me if I'm wrong, it felt like kind of the early season Pat Mahomes thing where Kyler is continually looking for the big play and continually looking for the big play and he's not settling for what the defense is giving him. And the Rams consistently, I will say, he's under duress this entire game, so that certainly matters. Like the Rams' pass rush was ferocious. Like they just, they they brought the house and they flustered him, but they were continually giving him the flat They were giving him drag routes. They were giving him slants over the middle. And Kyler's just not hitting him. He's trying to scramble. He's trying to extend plays instead of just hitting the first guy that's open or hitting the running back out of the backfield. And that's an issue. Like, he would let it get to third and 15, third and 17, get in these third and long situations, and then chuck it down. It was bad situational football. Kyler looked completely flustered by this pass rush. rush. He looked completely flustered by the moment of his first playoff game. I think all of those things ring true. And yeah, I put this loss all into his shoulders. 19 of 34, 137 yards, two picks. Um, the least amount of carries he's ever had in an NFL game. He had two carries for six yards. And the Cardinals go 0 of 9 for third down. So like, look, I put all of this loss on Kyler Murray and this offense not being able to produce. But I'm not ready to change anything. This is the most successful the Cardinals have been in years. This was an amazing season for them in which I think they overachieved. This is the hardest division in football. They made the playoffs. Yes, it's disappointing. It's deflating. It's a big letdown from where you were earlier in the season because a lot of people had Super Bowl aspirations for this team. But I don't think you should take anything major away personnel-wise. You revamp next year. You get ready. You take this heartache and you store it for next year and you come back stronger. Um, I I don't know. Kingsbury needs to stick around. Kyler is the future... uh, um, of this team at QB. I still think he's a top 10 QB in the league. I just think this was a really bad game and uh, something that he's going to need to learn from, though. Um, I'm not ready to take any major things from this, though. Let me first just speak on the Cliff Kingsbury stat, all right? Because everybody likes to throw that out there. I have a couple major issues with it. The first one being that any typical power five college football program is going to have a better record over their first half of the season than their second half because you go from playing let's just take an example the 2016 Texas Tech Red Raiders okay their opening four games are Stephen F. Austin FCS lost to ASU Louisiana Tech Kansas like you know those are the games that you're meant to win every single time so you can just build up your status as a program everybody starts three and oh everybody starts winning three of their first four at least. That's just how it goes. So, yeah, the NFL, the trend, I suppose, is concerning with the poor finishes to the season. My question would just be, can you identify to me what is going wrong there and why it is? Because until we have that, I mean, it's just not a huge sample size. Like, I feel like 
when you lump the college finishes in there with the NFL finishes, we're just creating a stat that sounds cool and looks interesting, but I don't think is really all that valuable. So I guess that's a little bit of a side tangent because you literally said that you're not putting the blame on Cliff, but that's just ubiquitous right now. You're seeing that stat everywhere, and I'm kind of just like, okay, do that for a majority of Division One football head coaches and see how their record compares in the first half of the season to the second half. Power five coaches, that is. But listen, this was obviously a really rough outing for Kyler, and I think that I have been probably as high on him throughout his career as anybody out there. I mean, I was calling him a top five quarterback at some points last year. I was calling him a top five quarterback, or at least on the fringes of that conversation in the early stages of this year, because I just think he is so clearly on that level talent-wise. I don't think we have ever seen anybody, and I say this pretty confidently, blend this level of speed and this level of raw arm talent. I mean, are there guys whose overall athletic package you would take over him? Yeah, I would say a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, although it's still a very short list, but to be able to launch the ball like this guy can, and also have the speed and elusiveness of a Lamar Jackson type, it's really completely unprecedented. And the good moments are just completely and utterly unbelievable. But there was too much bad this year. I mean, there are too many turnovers, I think, in the scheme of things. And uh, you could say that for a few elite quarterbacks this year, but we've seen it a few times over with Kyler. And in this one, obviously, he had two picks, although one of them was off the hands of running back off a screen. But just the overall finish to the year, man, without D-Hop. Their last five games in which D-Hop was out, he just gives you five passing touchdowns, three picks, one and four record. It was obviously a complete and utter collapse. So I don't know if I would put this game singularly on him just because the pressure was so significant and obviously the Cardinals' defense isn't out there getting stops. What? I mean, it was a tough matchup. He played a, he played a bad game, no question. But you can't put the entirety of the blame on him, I guess, is all I'm saying. Not that that's a steaming hot take for any football game. So, I mean, if you want to assign blame directly, then yes, the offensive line certainly deserves some as well. But I'm not going to put any of this on the defense whatsoever because when you go 0 of 9 on third downs, your defense is not going to be they're – not, they're not going to be rested. They're not going to be energetic. Like, they just get tired so quickly. I just like – like, don't get me wrong. Like, this was just an abysmal game. The, they couldn't stop the run. They got marched on. It was an abysmal game all around for Arizona, but yes, I put this... Let's see. You want to do numbers? You want to do percentages? 80% of this loss is on Kyler Murray. 80%. Maybe I'll give 75 and we can go 20% to the O-line. Like, this is... More than half of this, this is all on Kyler. Like, like dude, I, I'm serious. Like, there are just certain plays that you can go back and look at this game and... There are wide open guys in the flats on first and second down. There are wide open guys inside the numbers on a five yard in route, and Kyler just never looks their way. Like, and, and, and that's the thing, though. That's, name a Carson. What's the last rookie quarterback that you really remember coming out in their playoff debut and dominating? I don't know if I can. Josh Allen stunk in his first one. Lamar Jackson stunk in his first one. Like. I mean, I just think a successful quarterbacks, rookies in the playoffs, Mark Sanchez, Joe Flacco, great running games and great defenses. And it's different because they were actually rookies. But still, I can't remember a time that we've seen a good rookie playoff debut. Um, I mean, it's a tough spot. It's a different game. But 
this loss is all on Kyler, man. I I put this is a horrible game. It's the worst game I've ever seen Kyler Murray play, I think. Let me ask you this then. Have we overrated Kyler? No. No. I there is one thing that I would say that maybe uh, it was something that you brought up in the Josh Allen Pat Mahomes point. I would wonder if the height does matter, man, because like sometimes like I just do think that range of range of view on the field and that does matter. It is a good question, though, with D-Hop being out, because that's a significant number, right? Like, I don't know. How much of this can we attribute to Kyler just being like, F it, D-Hop's down there somewhere? I don't think we've overrated him, because I think you said it best. We haven't seen a guy like this with physical intangibles like this. They're very rare. Like you said, I think Allen, Mahomes, maybe Lamar, just like speed-wise. Guys like Kyler Murray are once in a blue moon, and I don't think we've overrated him. I just think that I think there's been a tremendous burden on his shoulders ever since D-Hop went out, and the running game has kind of fallen off a little bit since then as well. So, no, I don't think we, we've we overrated him. Do you? Do you think that he is, that we've been too high on him, that we just had, we let our expectations get a little too high after the start of the season? I think that I've probably overrated him slightly. I mean, I still think he's a top 10 quarterback, and like I said, I think he's a remarkable raw talent. But there is definitely in my opinion, a different level of inconsistency. And this year, with, I mean, the significant drop-off that we saw out of him as a runner where he's putting up half the yards and half the touchdowns and is less efficient, really just all around worse as a runner of the football compared to what he was last year, you know, his raw passing output is not going to be overwhelming. Like, we haven't seen him have a 4,000-yard season. We haven't seen him have more than 26 passing touchdowns in a year. So, he was super efficient this season, and uh, again, like you know how dynamic he is athletically, and he was the most important player on what was a really good team for most of the season, and all those things are true, because he's a really good football player, but I wonder if at times I have elevated him prematurely. Like, you know, I just don't think he's proven himself to be an absolute peer of a guy like Justin Herbert. And I would have had him before Justin Herbert coming into this year and probably in the early goings of this year. I There have been times where I've said I would take him over a guy like Tom Brady. And I still think, obviously, he is much more talented at this point in his career. But I don't know if the production actually justifies that. So this game, I mean, was, again, about as bad as it's been. But the overall trend this season was just not what you would have wanted to see. Yeah, and I think the big thing is the drop-off in rushing. I talk about this singular game. Again, this was the lowest amount of rushing attempts he's had in his career in a start. Again, two carries for six yards. Last season, he ran for 819 yards and 11 TDs. That's why we said Kyler was such a dynamic special talent. And they had such a good, solid, dependable run game this season that we didn't need to see Kyler utilized as much on the ground. You have Chase Edmonds and James Conner to rely on, and... uh you know, we didn't need Kyler on the ground as much. And I think that's the distinction, Carson. You know, if if he's going to be as impactful as he was as a runner last season, I think he's in that upper echelon of the Herberts, of the Josh Allens of the world. But when he's like this, he's not. Um, do you think, I mean, this is looking way ahead. Do you think the Cardinals are a lock to be a playoff team next season? It's very hard to be a lock to be a playoff team ever in the NFL, but... I think it's a really good roster with a top 10 quarterback, so they should be. I mean, 
even without D-Hop, there are impressive weapons here, and they also just weren't able to run the ball in this game. Like, I really do think a whole lot of things went wrong for Arizona beyond just Kyler. But yes, I think this is a playoff roster. We'll see, though, if it's a Super Bowl roster, because I think, obviously, there was a stretch this year when we thought that, and clearly things changed dramatically. But it's tough, dude, because if you lose a perimeter weapon as valuable as DeAndre Hopkins, like, that dude is just a game-breaker. And I think that that really changed, obviously, what this offense was. So I don't know if we have a totally fair evaluation of the Cardinals at this point. Like, this was about as grim of an outcome as there could have been. You lose five of your last six games, including one to the Detroit Lions, and you get blown out by the Rams. Like, it's one of the worst seasons. I The worst finishes to a season I can remember seeing from a playoff team in my lifetime, especially a team that started the year 7-0. and What's worse, the Steelers collapsed last season or the Cardinals collapsed this year? That's a great question. Wow. The Steelers collapsed last year. They were 11 and 0. Yeah, that was pretty rough. I'm just I'm trying to think right now of like all-time collapses and where this ranks. The Jets one with Favre, I think they started the season 9 and 0 ended up ended up or 8 and 0 ended up missing the playoffs um or something stupid like that. All, I think this is all-time though. I think this is probably a top 10 collapse. Didn't the Bengals start 8 and 0 and miss the playoffs? <laughs> With Andy Dalton? Yes, Andy Dalton, the only QB in NFL history to start a season 0-8 and 8-0. Life comes at you fast. Fun facts from Logan Camden. All right, let's flip to the Rams side here because they obviously played an exceptional game of football on the other end and are now moving on and going to be taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think we've seen some incredibly high peaks from this team this year. They were my preseason Super Bowl pick to win the whole thing, but... What do we take away from their end as they continue to move forward? I'm excited. I'm really excited for this. Uh, we're going to do a preview on Friday on the live radio show, um, you know, Rams and Bucks. But I'm really excited for the Rams and what they can do in the playoffs. I thought that they were going to be a little more limited um, in the sense that they were going to be really overly, overly reliant on Matthew Stafford. I was afraid that... I don't know, man. If you lean too heavy on Stafford, he can just crumble a little bit. That's kind of been the the MO for him. And if they can establish the run like this, if they can get their pass rush home like this, I think they can beat anybody. And I think they can win the Super Bowl. And maybe that's not a newsflash to people who have been on the Rams bandwagon, but I have been extremely skeptical um, of them of the back half of the season after watching Matthew Stafford struggle, after watching them struggle to put the ball on the ground. This was a dominant performance, a dominant one. I mean, I, I didn't know their pass rush was this good. Von Miller getting home, Leonard Floyd getting home, Aaron Donald getting home. This is terrifying. If I, The Rams, for my money, can beat anybody if they can get their pass rush home like this. You've got great corners on the back end. You've got a great like overall secondary. The Rams might not have any holes. And it may just come down to the individual performance of Matthew Stafford on if they can get to the Super Bowl. Like, I I don't know, man. This game was really eye-opening um, in the sense that just of how dominant that pass rush was. I'm trying to think about where I have them among playoff teams now. The Rams are in my top four, and they're... They might be three or two. Like, I don't know, man. This game was eye-opening for me. And again... 
if you can make Matt Stafford's job easy, if you can get him a lead early, something that Matt Stafford has not had a lot in his career, he's never had a running game, he's never had a great defense, if the Rams can get up early against the Bucs, and again, this is looking forward, 7-0, 14-0, I love their chances to win that game. Obviously, it's kind of stating the obvious, but Matthew Stafford playing carefree football, being able to just manage the game, move the ball, easy peasy, easy breezy, beautiful cover girl. Maybe it's Maybelline. Um, I love the Rams, dude. I am super high on them after this game. And uh, hell, man, I mean, they were your Super Bowl pick preseason. I mean, how justified do you feel uh, after this Cardinals game? Well, I don't mean to rain on the parade, but I guess I'll ask this. Did they do anything in this game that genuinely surprised you that you didn't think they were capable of? Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect the running game to be this good. And maybe I shouldn't overrate it because it's... Cardinals have had a lot of injuries to their defensive front. Um, you know, J.J. Watt just coming back. But, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty porous Cardinals rush defense. And we are going to see. Like, the Bucks again, have the number one rushing defense in all of the NFL. So we're going to really be able to see if, if that's going to be tried and true. I guess I guess just the pass rush. I didn't think it was this. I didn't think they'd be able to reach this level. But, like I said, man, uh, Von Miller uh, has, uh, you know, come around, turned a corner on the back half of the season. He has been elite. You have the second-best defensive player in football on your defensive front. I Just the pass rush, man. It's it's scary. Like, the pa- pass rush leads to playoff wins, leads to suffocating quarterbacks, leads to winning football games. And uh, I'm trying to think. Do you think the Rams have the best pass rush left in the playoff field? I think I would take the Bucks. How about you? I'm debating, man. I'm really debating because, again, the Bucs have had a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries on that defensive front. Sue, JPP, it's neck and neck. I think I'm going to go with the Rams, though, just because I like their top two stars a little more, and I really like Leonard Floyd. That's the deciding factor. I think the Rams might have the best pass rush left in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, when that unit is really on, they are definitely pretty terrifying, and... uh, I agree with you in that all the pieces really came together for them in this one. Like, this is what the best version of the Rams is. And yes, they're facing a poor run defense. They weren't even super efficient running the ball in this game, but the volume was there. There was that commitment to running the ball. And it's not just because they were up. If you look at their first three drives, 15 of their opening 22 plays were runs, and that's two touchdown drives. Now, You don't always have to be that run heavy. I honestly can't believe how much Cam Akers touched the ball. Like, that dude tore his Achilles less than six months ago. I don't understand how that's possible, and I would like to launch an investigation into it. But that balance is essential because this has been such a pass-heavy attack this year. When coming into it, I thought they would be able to run the ball really well because that's what Sean McVay teams have always done. And I just don't think, as good as he is at some points, You want to put the ball in Matt Stafford's hands 40 times in three consecutive playoff games because in the three weeks before this one, the guy threw seven picks. Like, it's just too much of a gamble, I think. So if they can really establish that running identity, if they can consistently get after the passer, and if Stafford can just not mess things up and they get the kind of play from their weapons that they did in this one where OBJ was obviously really good, they might have the highest ceiling of any team in the NFC. I mean... With the injuries to the Bucks' weapons, I think that they probably do. The question is just, 
do you trust it for four straight games given the variable that is Matt Stafford, given the fact that the run game hasn't been overly productive or efficient this year, given the fact that the defense, although still good, you know, has not had the ceiling that we expected in the preseason. Like, there's just still some questions that nag me about the Rams. So I was impressed, certainly, and they've won six of their last seven. It hasn't always felt the prettiest because of some of the Stafford stuff, but at the end of the day, if they held on against the Niners, they'd be on a seven-game win streak right now, and they were up 17-0 in that game. So it's a really, really good football team. But this honestly doesn't change my outlook on them all that much, just because I feel like I've always known that they were capable of this. I mean, we have seen brilliant moments from this team. They started the year 7-1, and one, and then they lost three straight games, and they looked really bad. And ever since then, it's been a lot of wins, but it hasn't always been perfect football. So... Again, I think they can beat anybody. I think it's a lot to ask them to win four straight playoff games given their overall resume on this year, but they could do it, and they are a very, very legitimate threat, no doubt about that. All right, so with that, let's move on to the other playoff game that involved an NFC West team, Niners-Cowboys, certainly one of the more fascinating and prominent finishes of the weekend, and the only upset that we had. A lot of people picked it. You picked it, Logan. I did not. I got a lot of flack for going pretty chalk with my playoff picks. People such as Gannon Hannibal, Jack Loader, friends of the show, now enemies of the show. Because you know what? I don't care for that criticism. I was wrong, though. So what were some of your big takeaways from this one? Um, First, I'd just like to say, Cowboys fans, I almost feel bad for you guys. Almost. Dude, they've had some, just some heartbreak, man. You know, it's been, what, you know, 25 years since your guys' last playoff win. The Dez, you know, not catch the, you guys have had some heartbreak, man. So I almost feel bad for you guys. But again, you're the Dallas Cowboys and I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So eat it. Suck it. I don't care. Um, I personally, I don't think the Cowboys shouldn't even been in the position to even have a chance at winning this game. You needed a late Jimmy G interception. Um, you needed just incompetence towards the end of the game. Um, the false start penalty or yeah, yeah, the, you know, Trent Williams penalty there on the QB sneak that they did convert. They got called back, forced them to punt. So like, look, complain all you want about the ending of the game and the, uh, you know, the ref debacle there at the end, whatever you want. I, I think the Cowboys were lucky to be in that position uh, to start with. There's something else that we can unpack about this game, and that's the decision to uh, run that QB draw late in that game. In theory, I don't hate it, right? Because you know it's going to be open. You need to get closer. You need to have a shot at the end zone. But what I don't get, Carson... They had been running prevent all that drive. They had been dropping, you know, man up three deep that entire drive. What does that mean? Well, they're giving you a 20-yard cushion every single play. I thought it was stupid from Shanahan and them because, like, the Cowboys were marching down the field. In that scenario, you have three wide receivers on the left side of that screen with a 49er defender not within 15 yards of them. At the line of scrimmage, if I'm Dak Prescott, I'm dumping that off to a wideout and letting him get out of bounds. That's just me, but I, whoever's decision that was, if it's McCarthy, if it's Kellen Moore... It was Kellen Moore. Kellen, I praise you for being an offensive genius. That's kind of heartbreaking. I really wanted to blame it on McCarthy. 
can't do that there. You have to get out of bounds, and you have to know that. Like, I know that, what is it, like 17 seconds on the clock? Like, 14, I believe. 14, like, you'd think you'd be able to get it off, but you just, that's just a risk you can't take, man. That's a dumb risk. Because if you throw an incompletion there, you at least will have a shot at the end zone. So, I mean, you guys just fumbled the bag there. Um, on the whole, yeah, I thought the Cowboys did not play a great game. Um, I thought something that came back to bite them in the end that I predicted before the game, why I thought the Niners would win, the big play factor. As big play dependent, the Cowboys' defense has been all season long, uh, led the NFL in turnovers and interceptions. They forced an interception on Jimmy G in this game uh, and then scored a TD off of it. Big plays kind of killed them. 37-yard bomb to Brandon Ayuk that set up a field goal that gave them the edge where the Cowboys didn't have to kick a field goal to tie the game. Um, You know, so where they had to forced uh, to go for that TD on the last drive. You have the 26-yard uh, rushing touchdown by Debo Samuel. Cowboys have allowed that all year. So I thought that came back to bite them. Um, and then I just thought, I don't know, man. Cowboys offense just didn't really get going. Uh, I think a lot of people overrated Dak as the season goes along. Like, I don't know, man. I've, I've, I think a lot of people just have this kind of misconception about Dak, that he is this be-all, end-all field general Dak needs a lot of other things to go right for him to be a great QB. Um, mostly the running game. Uh, Zeke and Tony Pollard did not have a great game. And again, that is the Cowboys' bread and butter. It's been their identity since Zeke entered the league in 2016 with Dak. The running game sets up Dak and makes him a great QB. And when you can't get the running game going, well, guess what? The Cowboys aren't going to be as successful. I think that's point blank. So I think if you're out for Dak's head, I think I would just as much be on... Uh, the running backs for not establishing the run, for not establishing their offense in totality. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, I kind of expected this, though. Like, I, I I didn't think the Cowboys were as good. They, they were bad against playoff teams. They were bad against good teams, and they beat up on the NFC East all year. Hate to say I told you so, but I, I kind of expected this one. Um, I kind of... I, I do feel a little bit bad for Cowboys fans. I'm sorry for flipping you guys off earlier. This Just... I don't know. You got your hopes up. You thought maybe this could be the year. You got all these playmakers on defense, this electric off. Yeah. I think the DAC criticisms are complicated to me because, listen, I understand that he's a member of the Cowboys brand and I understand the contract and everything around that that just is going to make him more likely to be subjected to criticism than most. But I don't really think you look at this game and you just think, oh my God, it's all Dak's fault. I mean, did he play a good game? No, not really overall. But like you said, I mean, the Cowboys didn't run the ball well. And at the end of the game, they were in position to win because when it came down to it, Dak started making plays. That doesn't excuse his overall performance, but it's not like he's the problem here. And, uh, I feel like some people frame it that way, which I just don't think is fair. So I think the Cowboys are in a really interesting spot now because this felt like a golden opportunity for them. I mean, I think their defense clearly dramatically outperformed expectations with Michael Parsons' emergence and Trayvon getting his 11 picks. And uh, yes, I think that there were always questions about, okay, how legitimate is this success because of how turnover and takeaway dependent it was and now I think you really need to worry about that going forward I mean we'll see how sustainable that success is because if you're not producing at the level of like a top 10 defense 
I don't know what the Cowboys' ceiling is, and I still think they do a lot of things well. I mean, I think that for the most part this year, they ran the ball well. They had fantastic weapons. I thought they had pretty darn good quarterback play in the scheme of things, and they got more than you really ever could have expected out of their defense. So I don't know if I could be super pessimistic about this right now. I mean, obviously, they don't have Michael Gallup, which is like another factor in this, but a lot of teams are down key guys at this point in the year. It feels like more than usual, honestly, with this playoff field. So we'll see. This felt like the year, though, for them at various points where it was really all coming together, and this was the most complete team that they had had, and to get nothing more than a wild card exit out of that is immensely disappointing, and windows are very, very narrow in the NFL, and you lose to a Niners team that a week earlier, it seemed like they were going to miss the playoffs on that Sunday, so that's definitely a quick change in realities for both of these teams and it's tough I will say I'm going to be starting a GoFundMe for the refs in this game and for the refs in the Bengals Raiders game people are being very hard on them and I think we should appreciate the officials that we have that being said I am also an advocate for robot refs and I think they're making a great case for me right now so any other cowboy thoughts from you? I mean, how do they proceed from here? What are the expectations going forward? Like, can they get better than this? Is this just a flukish, unfortunate loss? What's your take? The way I look at it, the Cowboys are almost a lock to be back in the playoffs again. Who's going to take them over in that division? Are the Eagles going to pop up and run the show again next year? Like, the football team sucks. Giants suck. Cowboys are going to be back here again next year. They're probably going to have a really similar record. Um, I think the defense is primed to be good again, but I think you need to get a... The secondary has been the issue all season long, big play-wise. I think that's where I would focus my attention. I like the pass rush. I like the middle of the field with Parsons, Van Der Esch. I think you'd still need to focus on the secondary and just like shore up your defense. I think you need to bring back Dan Quinn. He knows what he's doing. I think the real question that you have to ask yourself, Carson, because I think they're pretty much going to be trotting out the same group. I think the big question is just, do you elevate Kellen Moore to your head coaching job and let Mike McCarthy go? Well, Mike McCarthy has a sordid history of not being prepared for playoff games. It's what killed the Packers. It's what made them get rid of him. I would. But it sucks, right? Because Kellen Moore is the guy who sunk their boat with that last-second decision. I think it's been time. I think that uh, Colin Coward always talks about this in the direction that the NFL is going with offensive-minded head coaches, and it is a really poignant trend. McVay, Shanahan, uh, I'm trying to think, like any uh, like in the defensive head coaches who are good. McDermott has uh, has Dable to rely on. You have Andy Reid, the enemy. I go all my chips on in Kellen Moore. That is the change that I would make, the biggest change that I would make if I am the Dallas Cowboys. Do you... Is there any upside to retaining McCarthy? I just, I don't know, man. I think it's Kellen Moore's time to shine, and I think it's I think it's kind of overdue. Yeah, it's always a little bit tough to evaluate, I think, just because there are dudes who are brilliant play callers who should just be allowed to exist as brilliant play callers and who may not be great with, like, clock management or leadership. Like, there are just things about young babyface Kellen Moore that I really can't speak on because I'm not 
a Dallas Cowboy, and I don't interact with him on that level. Do I think Mike McCarthy is a good NFL head coach? I do not. So I think that some change may be in order there, and you're going to have to promote in-house because I think the other conflict they're going to run into is if you don't give the job to Kellen Moore, somebody else probably will, and you would rather have it be you. And uh, just uh, for some historical context, though, uh, Jerry Jones is not a guy who traditionally moves on from coaches. Gave Jason Garrett way too long of a lead. Gave Barry Switzer way too long of a lead. So if I had to bet on it, I would say McCarthy's probably back. But I think you're right. If they don't elevate Kellen Moore, the contract offers are going to be flying in. And you lose Kellen Moore, maybe there's a little bit of regression. Because this was a really, really good offense this year. The number one scoring offense in football that put up 50 points in two of their last three regular season games. And of course, it all came crashing down because as Stephen A. Smith would say, they're the Dallas Cowboys. From the Niners perspective, what are your big takeaways? Niners can beat anybody. I, I We have both agreed on that. Um, you know, in, in prior playoff talk, and I believe, getting my facts straight here before I before I say this stat, Aaron Rodgers is 0-3 against the Niners uh, in, in his playoff career. Granted, uh, two of those games are Kaepernick 2013-2014. But, uh, I mean, when they went to the Super Bowl, he lost to Jimmy G. And again, this is a Niners team, man, that just has that playoff formula. You have an excellent play-calling head coach in Kyle Shanahan. You have a guy that's great out of the play action. You have two tremendous weapons in George Kittle and Debo Samuel. And you have got a myriad of running backs who are really effective and a really great offensive line with a great defensive coordinator. Like, dude, the, the Niners are built for playoff football, and they have been excellent on the back half of this season. The only thing that can sink their boat is Jimmy Garoppolo. And he almost did it in this game. And I was going to, Carson can tell you, I was sitting here fuming watching the game because I thought he was going to choke it away. Jimmy G is the only thing that can keep this team from being successful. And I guess that's kind of the sell on Trey Lance after this season. Me personally, for Jimmy G to keep this job, he has to get to the Super Bowl again. Then I think there's a conversation to be had. If he loses in the NFC Championship game, I think that Jimmy G's gone and they move on to Trey Lance. But this Niners team, outside of the quarterback position, is loaded. They have a great OC uh, in play caller in Kyle Shanahan. They have a great DC in D'Amico Ryans. The secondary scares me, definitely. So still a great pass rush. I love them over the middle of the field with Fred Warner. Like, again, I think the Niners... <laughs> football analysis. If they can establish the run against the Green Bay Packers and their, and their average run defense, I think they can win again. Um, but Jimmy G has to play mistake-free football, and I don't know if you can bank on that. Yeah, I don't really have a ton to add to this. I mean, I don't think there was anything surprising on their end in this game. They ran the ball for 169 yards. They were very, very committed to that, and Jimmy G made it harder than it needed to be. And uh, threw a pick and obviously took them out of range to go for it, to put the game away where they had to gain like actually two inches. I mean, that's got to be an 80 plus percent conversion. And then the football game is over and you have obviously just issues as far as having an awareness of if everybody's set. So Jimmy is uh, an eternal question mark. And I don't think anybody would say that he's a bad quarterback. He is just an inconsistent quarterback and is not going to play on the level of pretty much anybody left in the field. I mean, actually, just flat out, 
not on the level of anybody in the field. He is certainly the biggest question mark and potential limiting factor remaining at the quarterback position for any of these teams. But I agree with you. When the Niners are clicking, they have everything else. I mean, Debo is like nobody we've ever seen to have 10 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown in this game. It's just unreal what he has done as a runner in this second half of the season. And the Niners are really, really good, and they can beat anybody. But I just think, kind of like what I was saying with Stafford and the Rams, I'm not going to bet on four straight weeks of good Jimmy Garoppolo. And there's going to be a point where that comes back to bite them, and they're going to need four straight good weeks of Jimmy Garoppolo if you're beating teams of this caliber. I completely agree, Um, and I think he's the biggest limiting factor. The one thing that I want to add to this about Debo there's a bit of a tangent here and kind of philosophical about football, so to speak. Take notes. Everybody else in the NFL, please take notes on how the Niners are using Debo and this type of player he is. That's one of the things I love about San Francisco, man, is they just know how to get something that I thought the, the Cardinals did not do a good job of, getting the ball into the hands of their playmakers, right? Not even trying to get it out in the flats and let them do work. When you have got Rondale Moore, when you have A.J. Green, when you've got Chase Edmonds, guys who can break plays. The Niners, who cares that Debo is not listed as a running back? He's crazy when he has the ball in his hands. He's super shifty. He's agile. He's great at breaking tackles. He's blazing fast. This is where the NFL is moving. We are moving to gadget guys who just need the ball in their hands at points in the field. The Tyreek Hills of the world. The Debo Samuels of the world. Take notes. Screw, we are moving towards positionless football, and I love it. I love it because just look for those explosive guys and try to draw plays for them. So, again, a bit of a tangent here, kind of, you know, overarching topic of football, but I really think we are moving towards just get playmakers, man, because I just, I think the Niners are breaking the mold and how they're using Debo Samuel. Great take. Completely agree, honestly. I mean, that is going to be the continued evolution. And it's fun, man. I mean, he is a joy to watch very consistently, and he makes them a whole lot better. All right, let's now talk about what I think was unequivocally the best game of the weekend. Bill's Pats, 47-17, seven drives, seven touchdowns in freezing weather against a top five, probably, defense. Josh Allen doing things that have never been done before. Five touchdowns, 80-plus percent completion, more than 50 rushing yards from a different planet, that guy. What did you take away from this game, Logan? Be scared. Be very scared. Chiefs fans, if you're scared, you can get in my pocket. And you should be. You should be terrified of Josh Allen. Is that a saying? Get in my pocket? What does that mean? You would get cooked out where I'm from, Carson. You've never heard that before. I would get cooked for not knowing what being in somebody's pocket is. Wait, like like a corrupt government? Like you're in their pocket? Like you're paying them under the table to... Oh, you're scared. You're, you want to hide. Look, Peyton, Gabe, Chiefs fans. Like Stuart Little, I want to hide in your pocket. <laughs> you know, I get it. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, it's, it's a good analogy. If you are scared, get in my pocket, Chiefs fans. I have been saying this. I get, I get, ugh, I get crapped on daily in the group chat by two Chiefs fans because I have been saying for years, two years now, that Josh Allen is on the level of Pat Mahomes. 
that he is as game-breaking as Pat Mahomes, that he is as effective and as important, maybe more important to his team than Patrick Mahomes. Like, I don't know, man. People, they they get all scared and they, they can't believe that I would say something so asinine, so outrageous. Deal with it. Sunglasses fall onto my face. Shout out that meme. I, I don't... I just... Wake up. Wake up, NFL fans. Josh Allen is the shit. Josh Allen is the real deal. Josh Allen is the freaking man. And this proved it. I, I don't know what this game against the Chiefs is going to look like because I am sure that the Chiefs have gone over that film over and over because it haunts their nightmares, what Josh Allen did to them in this first matchup. Like... I just love the guy, man. And I think he I think he's as good as Pat Mahomes. I think he's as impactful as Pat Mahomes. I think he's as talented as Pat Mahomes. I think he's faster than Pat Mahomes. I like his improvisational skills a little more than Pat Mahomes. But I I trust Josh Allen too. I think Josh Allen could beat the Chiefs. I predicted it. Um and I think he's the I think he's arguably the best quarterback in football. Yeah, he's a real-life superhero. I mean, it is truly unbelievable what he's doing. And uh, overall, I think that he had some regression from last year. I mean, the turnovers came up. The overall passing efficiency was not the same. But the most important evolution that we saw really in the end of this season was just when it comes to cold weather games and the Bills don't have a high volume traditional rushing attack, although Devin Singletary has been playing some really good football as of late and has definitely helped build that run game identity overall, you just use Josh Allen as one of your lead running backs. And I mean, the guy has been unbelievable. He has 407 rushing yards in his last six weeks, and he's just indestructible and fearless and can do it improvisationally, can do it out of designed runs like it's just an unbelievable dimension to add to a guy who is obviously already one of the great off-schedule throwers and just one of the best pure-arm talents and a really smart quarterback overall. Like, yeah, he makes a couple more mistakes than maybe your typical elite quarterback, but, I mean, not a ton more. Like, didn't make more than, you know, your Patrick Mahomes of the world made this year. Brady threw a lot of picks this year. Like, Josh Allen has been a top-three quarterback in football, for these last two years, he remains on that level. I would not take him over Patrick Mahomes, but I think he makes a better case than anybody else for that spot. And I think that when he is at his absolute best as a runner and as a thrower of the football, it's like really nothing that we've ever seen before. And he is good enough to be a single offensive engine in a way that Patrick Mahomes can't. I mean, there is truth to that. Like, Mahomes is not going to rush for 60-something yards a game. Josh Allen could do that this postseason and throw for 300 yards a game and three touchdowns. Like, it's insane. We've never seen anybody, truly, who can carry an offense as a passer and a runner of the football like this. Again, we've seen some great stuff from Kyler, but Kyler's volume as a runner is not even close to what Josh is doing right now. It was last year, but then his volume as a passer wasn't nearly there. Lamar never had this volume as a passer. Like, Josh Allen will throw for 4,500 yards and rush for 760. I mean, that's what he did this year, right? And had 42 total touchdowns in the regular season and comes out and just plays one of the best games I think anybody's pretty much ever seen here. It's unbelievable. And 
he gives me the utmost faith in this team. I mean, the weapons are there. Again, the running game has been improved elsewhere, and uh, he shouldn't have to play in brutal conditions again going forward. Like, he can play in the cold. That's fine. Again, I think they're, you know, he'll be a physical runner of the football and he'll ball out. It's really just the wind that I would worry about. But even that, I think he's done some great work to diminish those concerns, but that's not going to be a factor in Kansas City. It wouldn't be a factor in Tennessee. So he has restored a lot of my faith in the Bills. I mean, we know what this defense is capable of. Some unbelievable play from them really throughout the majority of the season. And they have a guy who in most settings is going to be the best player on the football field. Is he going to be in Kansas City this week? He could be. I don't know. We'll see. But he gives the Bills a very legitimate chance in every game. And I'm just very, very pleased with the direction this team has been trending. And the fact that they have really given themselves a chance. And right now, I mean, they feel like one of the four clearly best teams in football. I kind of feel like they feel like one of the two best teams in football right now, one of the two scariest teams. Like, who do you want to play on their best day? Anybody but the Chiefs or the Bills is what I would say. And the Rams and the Bucks, sure, I guess factor in that conversation too. But Josh Allen is a god amongst mortal men, and I think he reminded us all of that. I'll put my stamp on it then. I drafted Pat Mahomes number one in the all-time QB draft, right? For the rest of these playoffs, I want Josh Allen for next season, I want Josh Allen. Give me Josh. I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait, Carson. I cannot freaking... I, I don't know if I've been... I don't know if I've ever been this excited for a playoff game that didn't have the Steelers in it. I don't know if I've been this excited for a football game that didn't have the Steelers in it. I am... I'm ecstatic. Because we are going to see the two best quarterbacks in football go to head-to-head, and they have great surrounding teams around them. This is, I think this is the best defense Pat's ever had. I think this is the best defense that Josh has ever had. And I mean, going back to this game, if you had told me the Bills would have won, I wouldn't have been surprised because I expected that, as most people did. But to do this to the greatest defensive head coach in NFL history, to quite possibly the second best secondary in the NFL, granted, I do want to say, Kind of a tough situation. Bill always plays those guys like 70 to 80% of the snaps, so it just got rough as the game went along because they're dog-tired. I didn't expect this. Like, this was a ravaging, a brutalizing, a beatdown of what, in my opinion, is the second-best secondary in the NFL. And again, to the second-best, or to the best defensive head coach in NFL history. I didn't expect that whatsoever. Yeah. It was a masterpiece. It really was. The only thing I would say that I don't want to overreact to is just like you can't just forget everything else that has happened this year. Because again, Josh has been more inconsistent. And four of the last six weeks before this one, he completed less than 56% of his passes. And yeah, that's in a lot of tough conditions too. But, you know, he played a really bad game as a thrower of the football against Atlanta three weeks ago. But I will say, I don't think anybody else on the planet can play the game that Josh Allen just played because of what we've talked about with the unbelievable arm talent, the processing, and the ability to assert himself as a runner. I don't think anybody has ever been able to play that game. I mean, Mahomes, you know, could maybe come close, but he's just not the runner of the football that Josh is. And really, yeah, he's a good athlete, sure, but it's not remotely close. It's not close as far as the willingness, and it's not close as far as the ability. So 
It's crazy, man. It's crazy, and he really is good enough to put the bills on his shoulders and carry them to a Super Bowl, and we'll talk about that game this week, but it is going to be something else. I mean, this feels like quite the event that we are coming up on. All right, for the Pats, what do you take away? Uh, my biggest takeaway is probably just about Mac. Um, everything else I trust to kind of stay the same for New England as long as Belichick is back next season. Defense, stout running game. I think the biggest change that we're just going to need to see from Mac, and again, I think this is stating the obvious, with a quarterback as physically limited as him, Mac just has to improve his pocket presence. He has to improve, excuse me, he has to improve, you know, reading the field at the line of scrimmage and making, and, you know, just growing his autonomy at the line of scrimmage. Like, that's what made Brady special. And again, not early on. I think those teams were just so stacked that Brady could just manage them to win games. Uh, those are not the same Patriots teams that, that we have now. This is not as a solely defensive team that is going to lead them to the Super Bowl. It's going to be a component, but Mac is going to have to be great to win a Super Bowl with the Pats. And again, this is a cutthroat AFC. This is an AFC that you are going to find Josh Allen every year, Pat Mahomes every year. Joe Brr every year, the Titans every year. Like, this is going to be, maybe I'm penciling in the Titans a little early, but it's going to be tough to get out of the AFC every year, and we're going to need to see drastic, drastic improvement in just decision-making, changing games at the line of scrimmage. And again, I'm not going to hold that against Mac now. It's his first playoff game. Like, I'm just proud of the kid for getting here and for managing this team like it's hard it's hard to do as a rookie to step into this situation and win as many games as he did um we're just going to need to see big strides in max brain decision making and again stuff at the line of scrimmage because he's not a physically overwhelming quarterback he's never going to be one he is going to be a guy that is going to have to nickel and dime drives downfield and pick apart defenses at the line of scrimmage to be successful and win playoff games and uh I don't know. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to seeing his growth next year because that's what's going to be the. That's how they beat the Chiefs. That's how they beat the Bills. That's how the Pats get back to the Super Bowl. I don't see it happening. But again, this this is year one of Mac, and he's got a lot of time to to grow those skills and become a you know way more refined QB. One hundred percent. And this is why, even when in that stretch during the late regular season, the Pats' defense was just on another planet, and we know what their run game did to the Bills. As good as they looked, nobody ever questioned what the potential limiting factor was going to be. It's not just Mac. I would say it's the overall passing game because of the lack of dynamic weapons compared to what you're seeing from other legitimate contending teams as well. And look, maybe this is an unfair burden to put on him because this is quite the shootout. But the question was always, hey, when you get into a game against a high-powered offense that is on and is able to put up points against your defense, do you trust Mac Jones? And I think overwhelmingly people would have said no. I mean, he's you know clearly one of the weakest quarterbacks who is on a playoff-caliber team and as really, really good as he was for a rookie. You know, he's still, what, like the 20th starter who you would have taken for this season? Like, the guy is just limited. And that will continue to be the limiting factor for this team until he improves. And again, I do think that, you know, it's great that you paid $400 million to Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith (laughs) this offseason, but those are not the kind of weapons that are going to change the dynamics of an offense. Like, the Pats need that kind of go-getter. And Mac also needs to just get better. Like, unequivocally, he's not where he needs to be. But at the same time, 
you need to put really great pieces around him because if you're not getting Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes quarterback play, then you need to at least make it as easy on him as possible. And the Pats did not do that this year. So you open the game with three scoreless drives against the Bills when they were dialed in like this and you have sealed your fate. Next thing you know, you're down 27 nothing. And uh, I'm just overjoyed. I mean, I I can't even put into words how happy I am. I hate the Patriots. They're my least favorite sports franchise by so, so, so much. Not even remotely close. And uh, I could cry right now. And I think I maybe will cry because this was unbelievable. Josh Allen is truly, I believe, an angel sent from heaven. And Bill Belichick is the devil himself. And I like to see good win over evil. So... (laughs) that's my take on this game. I'm very happy and I'm very excited and also very nervous for this weekend of football, but I'm trying to refrain from profanity here. I'm just really fired up about how much I hate the Pats. Go home, guys. Sucks to suck. Frauds. Okay. I hate the Patriots. All right, Logan. Are you ready to talk about your football team? You're not? Well, you're going to. The Pittsburgh Steelers, sadly, as you wear... Your Steelers shirt and a dunce cap simultaneously. Bit of a tough look for the brand there. They gave it their best. Talk about this game. Actually, for the first time in Nerd Sesh history, Carson, we're going to pause the show. Right? This is a this is a audible on the fly. We're going to have like a little mini dance break because I have some breaking news. Keith Butler is out as defensive coordinator, and the rumors are is that the Steelers are revamping the entire team. So I think I'm going to hit an icky shuffle real quick. Yeah, Logan can do that. I guess I'll just keep talking. Oh, he threw Morty on the ground. Pretty sure he flipped him the bird. (laughs) Keith Butler's gone, which means that Matt Canada could also be gone because I'm going to make a really long-winded video because I'm really weird about the Steelers and how much I like this team and how obsessive I am about them. But I'll give you some cliff notes here. We need, I'm a guy who likes to get the dynamite sticks out and we need to blow a lot of things up here in Pittsburgh. Keith Butler needs to be gone. He's old. He's washed. Matt Canada sucks. A lot of people are really enthusiastic and optimistic that he could be way better after a year under his belt. I'm not. I think he needs to be gone too. And, like, we're losing the identity of our, of our franchise in Big Ben. And you know what? I, I'll focus on this game briefly. This game was over, like you said, with the Pats, Carson. When the Steelers didn't finish drives in the first quarter, this game was as good as done. Because we have seen the Kansas City Chiefs do this over and over and over and over again in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. At some point, like that, outside of the Super Bowl, like that, the Chiefs' offense is going to kick into gear and they are going to score three to five TDs consecutively. And we open the game, and on second and eight and second and nine, we're trying to run inside zone with Najee Harris. Stupid call, Matt Canada. Way to sell the game. And Big Ben was kind of off and, you know, didn't really have a great first quarter. Like, when the Steelers did not score on those first three or four drives and we had all of those punts, the game was as good as done. Yeah, I got amped at the TJ Watt TD, but... When you're not extending drives, same situation um, as the Cardinals' defense. When you are not extending drives, when you are not converting third downs, your defense is going to get inevitably tired. And uh, that's what happened. The Steelers' defense just got the dog walked on them. And then as you saw later in the game, something else that needs to change, 
that TD by TJ Watt fired up the offense. The Chiefs were PO'd. They were upset. They were angry, and they came out firing, and they just picked our defense apart. Um, they picked on Terrell Edmonds a lot, who I like Terrell. He's a great tackler. If we play him as a sub linebacker or uh, in the middle, in the box, I think that we can keep him around. He's a free agent this year. Um, he's not a free safety. I think the Chiefs had like three or four plays of over 20 yards just in his deep two, in his zone. It was embarrassing. So um, the Steelers have a lot of things to do this offseason. And honestly, I was talking with my dad. If you guys want my genuine opinion on how many games we should expect to win next year, I'd say four to five. We need a new QB. We need an entirely new offensive line. We need two really impactful game-changing linebackers. And we need another safety to start. Like, we have got a lot of starting positions to fill on the field. And if I'm being frank, Mike Tomlin has not done a good job of replenishing the troops. This uh, Kevin Colbert is also out after this draft. So, I mean, like, this is a real... This is a a changing of the core in Pittsburgh that we have never seen before. The personnel that is on the field that is leaving has never happened before in franchise history. The personnel behind the scenes, Kevin Colbert, Keith Butler, and potentially Matt Canada all leaving, this is a changing of the guard. This is a changing of our franchise identity that I have never experienced in my lifetime, that my dad never experienced in his lifetime as a Steeler fan. So basically what I'm saying, buckle up. It is going to be a wild ride next season because I have no idea what to expect out of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, the only thing that I can say is big, big changes are coming. Yeah, and uh, I'll definitely be interested in hearing you know the full expanded version of your take on this because I think that obviously you are very correct. And it was kind of a miracle that this team went 9-7-1. and I mean, it was a bad offense all year. Their expected win-loss based on their point differential was 7-10. and They didn't really have a good win outside their division except for the season opener against the Bills, which was one of the weirdest and worst football games I've ever watched. So I think this is a positive overall that they got here. That You know, you got to send off Ben with a playoff appearance that somehow yet again they found a way to have a winning record under Mike Tomlin. That's a good season to have. Anytime you make the playoffs in the NFL, it's an accomplishment, especially when you do it with a very, very underwhelming offense. So we'll see what they can be going forward. I don't know about four to five wins, man. I do feel like the defense alone is going to get you more competitive than that. And then the other question is, I guess you really don't know who's going to be playing quarterback, but I also don't know how much regression you can expect from the quarterback position when Ben was probably like the 25th best starter in football this year. Okay, this is fact check time, okay? I'm sorry, Carson. No, Ben was not great. Ben was not great in any stretch of the imagination, but he is the only thing that kept this offense going, dude. Like you said, I completely agree with you. It is a miracle that this team got where they were. The worst offensive line in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, Injuries up and down the defense. Here's what I'll go to. What was our contingency plan if Ben wasn't out there? We would have played Mason Rudolph. This is a... We couldn't beat the Lions with Mason Rudolph. Like, are you saying, like, Ben versus a league average quarterback? What are you gauging? Because I think without Big Ben, we win four games this year. My point is Mason Rudolph should not be the expectation. 
right? And again, we'll see how the process actually goes. If Mason Rudolph starts a season of football, then yeah, you probably are going to win five games. Mason Rudolph is awful, though. My point is, Ben was in, if not the bottom tier, not the absolute bottom tier of starters this year. He was not there, but he was probably in the next tier. And yeah, I'm saying still, by the way, that whoever you have next year, be it a rookie or be it whatever free agent you can get, is probably not going to be quite as good as Ben. Mm -hmm. But my point is, Ben was not good. So as long as you don't have Mason Rudolph, you're not going to see huge regression at the quarterback position. I don't think. But we also don't know because we don't know who's going to be there. Yeah. And then the final component of that is the play of the offensive line. Ben did not play like this. The offense did not was not structured like this because we wanted to play like this. We were not throwing the ball two seconds after the snap every play because we wanted to. We did it because we had the worst offensive line in the game. That, to me, is the biggest determinant. Because I don't care if you bring in Jimmy G, if you bring in Mitch Trubisky. Um, if you bring in, because I think what the Steelers should do is go out and get a guy who's a little more mobile, a little more dual threat, a guy who can set up and out of the play action and stuff like that. It's not going to matter if we get a guy like that and we can't protect him up front because we're still going to have to play the same football and it's going to be less effective. There's a lot of variables that play into this. Um, I don't know, though, dude. I, I really do think that should be the expectation. My gauge right now is five to seven wins at at best, sadly. And again... This is a division that is only getting better. The Ravens were ravaged by injuries this season. They are going to be much better and in the playoffs next season. The Bengals and Joe Brrr, they're going to revamp. They're going to be way better next year. The Browns, kind of a down season. Like, I don't like the Browns, but they're going to be a lot better next year. This is, it's a tough division. Whole lot of overturn for Pittsburgh. I don't know, man. It's, it's going to be a season like I have never experienced in my lifetime. Yeah, no, you do make some good points. I mean, getting four division wins out of this year is kind of a miracle, and nothing close to that is going to happen next year, I wouldn't expect. Any takeaways from the Chiefs in this game for you? I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> they're just great. <laughs> you know, we've been, I, I hate talking about the Chiefs. I've hated talking about the Chiefs for two years now. Congratulations, guys. You have Patrick Mahomes. He's the best quarterback who ever lived. Really good defense. Whatever, man. I hate you guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Logan Camden on the Kansas City Chiefs. I largely agree, though. I mean, I don't think that there's anything to really take away from this game. And you mentioned, you know, where the Steelers sat after that first quarter. And I remember Collinsworth and Al Michaels talking about how you kind of felt like the Steelers won that quarter, Al. And I was like, kind of? Because, yes, being even with the Kansas City Chiefs after a quarter of football is good. But also, you know, they're constantly a sleeping dragon. And you just knew they were going to awake at some point. And they got the first ingredient needed for a Steelers win, which was a defensive touchdown and a scoreless Kansas City first quarter. And then from there, things got pretty ugly. I mean, it's remarkable for Mahomes, obviously. Jarek McKinnon playing at that level is pretty interesting. You know, if he's going to continue to do that. That adds a really interesting dimension to this offense. And, you know, the defense has been playing well. Like, I really don't think there's anything surprising here. I've said that I think the Chiefs have been playing like the best team in football. And I think that after a bad quarter and a half, that was affirmed and was the case again in this one. All right, let's talk about the last AFC playoff game here. Bengals-Raiders. 
Another game in which officiating was obviously a main talking point, if not the major talking point, the Bengals end up winning by a touchdown and will advance to face the Titans. What are your takeaways from this one? Uh, We can start with the big one that everybody's kind of beaten to death. Joe Burrow is like the perfect playoff QB. He's like the perfect guy that you'd want leading your franchise. You can start with what he said after the game. We don't care that we won this game. You know what I mean? It wasn't a good win. We are focused on next week. We are focused on watching film, and we are focused on whooping ass next week. That's what you want out of your starting QB. You don't want... I don't know, man. He's, he's a guy that you would love to have as the face of your franchise. And not just that, man. Joe is one of the smartest QBs on field I, I can remember, especially with how young he is. And it's down to, I won't say like hot routes and changing the play at the line of scrimmage, but like little stuff like picking up pass pro at the line of scrimmage. I just distinctly remember him, uh, you know, uh, hollering over to Mixon, pick that guy up. What happens? Mixon picks the block off off the edge rusher that was unblocked. Burrow throws a TD. Um, he's just a genius, man. He's he is a true genius. And um, I don't know, man. I think this kid's only going to get better. I think he's a future Super Bowl champion, and I mean that. In a cutthroat AFC with Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes, I think Joe Burrow gets out one year with the Bengals and wins a Super Bowl. Um, that being said, we can talk about the questionable call, the TD that put the Bengals up twenty to six, the phantom whistle. I think it's been over-exaggerated, personally. Um, The play was basically already decided that was going to be a TD, kind of blown coverage already. Um, It was blown early, and yeah, it sucks for Raiders. uh, Raiders fans and the Raiders, like, by rule, the ball should have been called dead immediately. I know that's the official rule, that when the whistle is there, that the play is dead. That was going to be a TD anyway. Um, It was kind of a BS call that was overturned um, to say that Renfro... Uh, caught that ball. There was a roughing the passer call at the end of the game. This was, like you said, man, we need to make donations because those guys, they don't have a whole lot of work lined up for them uh, the rest of the playoffs. Terribly officiated game. Um, I will say, um, I don't have a whole lot to add for the Bengals. I think it's going to be a really fun matchup against Tennessee. They're a fun team with an explosive offense. I think that I think that this defense is a lot better than people realize. I think this offensive line is a lot better than people realize. Like, I'm not saying the Bengals are some sleeping giant, but they are a very, very good team. And again, with their establishment of the run this season, I think they are just dangerous. Um, I'm going to give my Raiders thoughts in a minute, but uh, yeah, I I was super impressed with Joe Burrow in his first playoff game. He looked ready. He looked poised. and He carved them up. Um, I I think the Bengals are... I think the Bengals are really good, and I think the the over-exaggeration of how bad this roster has has been... I don't know, man. I, Carson, a lot of people are saying that just that this team is just not that good and that Joe Burrow has... Joe Burrow and this electric offense have carried them. I think this is a pretty deep roster, and yeah, this explosive offense. Yeah, and I think they could beat the Titans next week. Uh, I was just super impressed. Things Logan Camden has said this football season. Joe Burrow is the next Tom Brady. That was said not on the podcast, but in private to me, and I've now revealed that publicly. And Derek Carr is a top five quarterback. Top five QB Derek Carr. I didn't. I never. I would never say that. Oh no, we definitely have you saying that on the podcast. One hundred percent. One of the twenty-seven quarterbacks you named as a top five guy this year. Yeah, I mean Burrow is really, really remarkably impressive, and this overall aerial attack, I think, is really tremendously impressive obviously and regardless of what you think of the rest of the roster that is certainly the defining element of this team and its greatest strength and what is going to potentially carry it 
And I probably would have liked to see the Bengals run the ball a little bit better in this one, but they've had success with that at times this year. And really does feel like they have a legitimate chance in kind of any game. I mean, certainly against the Tennessee Titans. God knows they have a chance against the Titans. Against the Chiefs or the Bills would be a little bit more of an uphill battle because you're facing, I think, better all-around rosters, better defenses, and better quarterbacks. But they have the quarterback advantage certainly this week, and they have the overall passing game advantage, and that'll give you a chance. Do you agree with me um, about the phantom whistle? Like, what did you think? What should they have done on that play? I mean, I think that the play should be dead. You know, you have an inadvertent whistle when it's very reasonable to any player on the field that it was an intended whistle because Joe Burrow is walking the sideline. I just think that that should be blown dead. I mean, like you said, that's the rule. So that's my opinion. I also think, though, the Bengals were the better team in this game, and I think that the Bengals were going to win no matter what. But I would be very upset about that call if I were a Raiders fan. But again, we move on. You can make a donation to Jerome Boger and friends at GoFundMe slash FundTheRefs and just make sure that those guys are safe and protected because I don't think that they'll be outside for quite some time, probably sheltering in place. But I just think this was kind of what you expect from the Bengals, right? The Raiders were not very good. I don't think that we ever thought the Raiders were all that good and the Bengals came out and did what they needed to do and Burrow and Jamar played good games and that was that. What do you take away from the Raiders in this one though? Um, A, a few things. First, I, I think Rich Basaccia needs to stick around. Um, uh, I believe Colin uh, said this on his show that they're the first team to fire a head coach midseason then go on to make the playoffs. That's impressive um, to get these guys to play hard for you. And I also I love how he handled. I don't know if you saw this, Carson. Uh, after the game in his hotel room, he hand wrote a letter to every single player on the roster. And that's just you can't quantify that, man. That, that's love. That's love for everybody on your roster. It really shows that you care for everybody. And that's I don't know, man. You're you're not going to get a whole lot of head coaches that that care that much. And again, performance wise. I think you have to give him another season. Just let him see what he can do. Yeah, if he sucks next year, well, go ahead, can him. Um, also, another big piece of Raiders news, I don't know how in-depth you want to go about this, Mike Mayock uh, gets canned. I don't know about that one. I thought Mayock had been all right as a GM. We'll see. Um, I, I don't know. I liked Mayock in the position. I wish they had kept him around. On the field, Derek Carr is a double-edged sword that never... Never fails to amaze me, man. At points, he makes a buffoon like me, yeah, wearing the dunce cap, appropriately so. I said Derek Carr was a top-five QB. He looks so good, man. And he's just, he's picking defenses apart. And he's slinging deep balls. And he's hitting Darren Waller wide open. And he's throwing these amazing contested uh, balls to Brian Edwards that he's coming down with. Then you get a game like this, where the real Derek Carr is revealed. When he does not... Something that I had to come to terms with in this game is that Derek Carr is not a, a dynamic playmaking quarterback. You said this during the game. Derek Carr does not make plays off script. He does not make plays off schedule. That's the hard truth. Derek Carr has been the only stabilizing factor for the Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders over the past seven years. But he is not going to win them a playoff game. He's not going to win them a Super Bowl. When you need Derek Carr... He is going to fall down when the pass rusher gets close to him and allow himself to get sacked. He's not going to roll out of the pocket. If, his, if the read is not there, 
Derek Carr is not going to make plays. And that is the single most important trait in a quarterback, in my opinion. Unless you're Peyton Manning and you can, or Tom Brady and can read the play at the line of scrimmage and make changes every single play, you're limited. Like, think about it. Joe Burrow can get out of the pocket, can make plays. Josh Allen gets out of the pocket, makes plays. Pat Mahomes gets out of the pocket, makes plays. Kyler Murray, as bad of a game as that he had, can make plays. Matthew Stafford can make plays. Derek Carr doesn't. Derek Carr is a statue in the pocket, and he does not make a lot of changes at the line of scrimmage. So, look, Derek Carr can stick around. He's going to keep the Raiders in mediocrity. Um, I don't know. It's all in, in, it's all in where you want to head as a franchise. Like, I think the Derek, I think Derek Carr coming back next season can win them eight to nine games. Truly do. You're not going to win a playoff game. And, and that's a sad reality. And that's something that I have to cope with in my Derek Carr as a top five QB, uh, candidate. He's league average. He's just average. Yeah. He might even be slightly above that, but I just think that it's a miracle the Raiders got here. I mean, obviously, to begin with, all the off-field things that they had to deal with, but they were just never that good of a football team. They didn't have a playoff offense. They didn't have a playoff defense. They didn't have that overwhelming superstar quarterback carrying them the way. Like, it's just remarkable that they ended up here. And I think that they are a major candidate for regression next year because unless this roster significantly improves their win total is uh, not going to be the same. Like, I mean, they got some impressive production from weapons, guys who coming into the year you didn't expect to play at this level, obviously, Renfro, Brian Edwards, Zay Jones. Like, those dudes legitimately balled out way above expectations this year. They got it without Darren Waller being this good. What are you shaking your head about? I don't think I agree. On what front? That the Raiders are going to regress? I'm not. When you say regression, how many wins are you talking specifically? Like seven. Maybe. I can But, like, I don't know. I think a lot of – you have Waller, Renfro, a few solid pieces on the O-line. You've got Josh Jacobs coming back. I think this defense still sucks, and I think it needs a revamp, and maybe that's your candidate for regression. But offensively, I kind of expect the same output from this team. Well, here's my point. They were the number 18 scoring offense in football. Like, there was nothing exceptionally good about this team except for their ability to win very close games. Their defense sucks. Their offense is quite average. And they were, weren't they like seven and zero or six and zero in like OT or, or last plays of games, something stupid like that. I mean, that's always the highlight mark of a team that is prime for regression. Yeah, they had four OT wins and I think had like seven walk off wins on the year. It was just ridiculous. And so I don't think it's sustainable. Yes, there are some really good football players on this team, but. I find myself unimpressed by where they stand overall. And I think that they had the weakest roster in their division and uh, they just won a really big game at the end of the year and like managed to eke out wins when they needed the most and good for them. It's an accomplishment. Like we said earlier, whenever you make the playoffs, but I just don't think it's replicable for them. So with that, let's move on to the last game that we are going to talk about today, and not the most interesting one, in my opinion, was 31-0 at one point. The Bucks over the Eagles. What are your takeaways from this one? Um, I mean, they just showed us why the Bucks can win another Super Bowl. It's surgery, man. It is surgery. For as long as I have hated Tom Brady, he has been doing this forever. Picking apart methodical drives. It's the Surgeon General, man. You can call him what you want. He's the, the GOAT, the... It's precise, man. Pinpoint. 
And the Bucs can just do that with... You talk about the weapons, man, and maybe that being the deciding factor in why the Bucs aren't going to win the Super Bowl. I don't even care. I don't think it matters. You give me Tom Brady. Yeah, I... The Bucks just marched every single freaking drive, and then defensively were great. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to add on the Bucks. Like I just think that they are what we thought they were. Um, and I'll keep my thoughts short and sweet on the Eagles because I think there's one plot point that a lot of people are talking about. Everybody wants to give up on Jalen Hurts. Why? He gets them to the playoffs. He's... I guess if you were talking about like his decision making or something, I don't care, man. There are very few guys in the NFL that are physically gifted like Jalen Hurts. Again, he led them being one of the best rushing attacks in football. Guys are just not physically gifted like this in the NFL. Maybe you take a flyer on a guy in the third or fourth round, and maybe I'd say that. Please do not go out and waste. Because look, man, the Eagles... The Eagles have a chance to do something really special this offseason in free agency with the money that they have, but they also have three first-round picks in, like, the first 20 picks. That is how you... If they take a QB, I just think you're fumbling the bag, man. I think you put pieces around Jalen. That's what good... That's what smart teams do. You draft around the QB, and guess what? If Jalen isn't your guy next season, well, you can trade him for, like, a fourth or something, and then you can get a new QB. I think you have a chance to do something really special for next season if you surround a lot of talent um, around Jalen Hurts. And I think that's getting another wide out. As much as that pains me to say with all that the Eagles have invested in that position, Jalen Rieger is not it. Devontae Smith is a go-to guy. Um, but you need another go. You need another guy. And then I think you, you get some secondary pieces. Again, with as much as that the Eagles have invested in that position in the draft these past few years, I think those are the two highlighted positions that they need to worry about. But I'm rocking with Jalen Hurts. I am rocking with him, man. The guy makes plays off script. He's a great scrambler. And I don't know, man. I don't get how you could watch this game and not be impressed with some of the throws that he's making. Yes. No. He, did you seriously expect Jalen Hurts to win this football game? I didn't. Not for a second. But he's a big-time playmaker, and I still believe that. And he was dealing with pressure all day long. I believe in Jalen Hurts. I think the Eagles should bring him back. I think that's the biggest storyline heading into the offseason for them. But I would bring Jalen Hurts back, and I would ride with him because I believe in him as a as a QB. And is he? Look, I'm not saying he's great. He's probably around that Big Ben tier of QBs. He's probably around that Ryan Tannehill tier of QBs. But you can win with him. And QBs get this, Carson. This is something that I don't think the media addresses enough. Year to year, you know, sometimes players get better. This is not the peak Jalen Hurts that we're going to get. This is his first year really starting. Give him another year, see what happens. I'm riding with Jalen Hurts. I think that you make some very fair points, and uh, I guess the fundamental question here is not, is Jalen Hurts a starting caliber quarterback, or is he going to be a start? I mean, he already was a starting quarterback. Like, that is definitive. I mean, he was, I think, almost indisputably with... Lamar's injury, the best running quarterback in football this year. I mean, he gave you 758 yards and 10 touchdowns on the ground, was the leading most productive guy on the best rushing attack in football, and I think averaged like 5.8 yards per attempt. Say what you want, man, but when you are at least competent as a thrower of the football and as a decision maker alongside that, which I think Jalen Hurts is, you are going to find a starting job somewhere. The question is, again, is he a franchise guy? Is he a Super Bowl kind of guy? Is he a top half, top third of the league kind of guy? And I don't know that we can definitively say 
anything in either direction. I would lean he's probably not going to be that because I do think he's limited as a thrower of the football. But at the same time, it's like, are they in a huge hurry? Like you said, this is basically his first season as a starter. He has a pretty remarkable physical portfolio. And I mean, did he underachieve expectations? Like were people expecting more than 26 total touchdowns against nine picks and almost 4,000 yards and a playoff appearance from Jalen Hurts? I wasn't. I mean, this was at the very least up to expectations, I would say. So we'll see. I would certainly give him another year. I mean, I don't think that this is the time to make any decisions. It's not like the Eagles are knocking on the door of something great, like if they had a different guy at the quarterback position. You know, this isn't the Denver Broncos who we're talking about here. So I agree with you. I think that at the very least, continue the feeling out period, give him another year. He accomplished a lot this season. I think he and the Eagles overall probably overachieved expectations. The Eagles overall, certainly. And uh, again, I don't think your timetable needs to be accelerated like that. No, you hit it right on the head. You're not winning a Super Bowl next season. And that's why you don't need to rush things. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, you have a good run-stopping defense. You have a good front four. You have good pieces, but it's not time to rush this. Now, I think philosophically you can have a debate football-wise about if you can win a Super Bowl with a rushing quarterback. That is one of my dad's hills he would die on. He tells me all the time you will never win a Super Bowl with a run-first quarterback. He hates Lamar Jackson. Um, He he just doesn't like run-first quarterbacks. And if you were pressed... You know, if you go in the old memory bank and you look at Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, well, the most mobile QB to ever win one is Steve Young or Russell Wilson. And those two guys are anomalies. They're most they're two of the most efficient, effective quarterbacks to ever play the position. So I think if that's the debate you're having, well, one, I'd say your expectations for Jalen Hurts are way too high in year three, but I'd also say that I don't know, let's wait and see. Um so yeah, I I think if you're going to have that debate, if you can win a Super Bowl with a rushing quarterback, that's one that's separate to be had. But again, Jalen Hurts in year three, this is way surpassed my expectations. Like, I was high on the kid. I thought he was going to have a good year, and he did. But he was efficient. Again, like you said, man, leading rusher on the number one rushing attack in football. Give him another year. See what he can do. Wait till the jury to be out. And again, please, Philly, use these picks wisely because I think... Like, dude, that's another aspect of this. This spot in the NFC is going to be wide open every year for you because the football team are going to stink. The Giants are going to stink. You're going to have a shot at a wild card spot every single year because you can almost give yourself four easy wins on the schedule every year. The Cowboys, I think, are a shoe in to win it, but I think the Eagles are a shoe in to be a wild card contender every year. I'm not comfortable saying anything like that about the NFL. I mean, you do not know who's going to be good in three years. If you want to say next year with some confidence, yeah, probably. But you also thought the Washington football team was going to win 11 games this year, you know? So I just think there's so many unpredictable things that can happen in an offseason and over the course of a 17-game season that I wouldn't say that last thought. I will also say you're saying year three, but this is year two that we just saw from Jalen Hurts. And again, it's year one as a starter. Like, the guy's very, very young. So... I'm trying to think. Are there any final thoughts here? Any last words from you? Last words. That's a little bit ominous, but I'm going to stick with it, actually. You didn't do any, like, power rankings or anything? I know we've been doing a lot of top four talk. Top four teams? As we sit right here, right now, off the top of the dome? Yeah. A little bit of a nerd hierarchy. 
All right. I will allow it. You go first, though. Who are your top four teams as we stand currently? Four, L.A., Rams, three, Tampa Bay Bucks, two, Kansas City Chiefs, number one, Buffalo Bills. Ooh, ah. I think I agree, except I would flip the Bills and the Chiefs, but boy, do I hope that I'm wrong on that. It's very close, and I'll need to do some more thinking about that game as we approach it. So, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Wild card weekend talk. Again, last week was packed with pods for us as far as just three and four days because we had to go Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And this week, we're going to do the same thing because they decided to have a playoff game on Monday night, and that messes up our schedule. So, we will be back. Wednesday, a.k.a. tomorrow, if you are listening to this the day of, evening, giving out our NBA All-Star teams, so that should be a whole ton of fun. Again, you can join us live on Twitch or Twitter. That's where we're streaming now. And, of course, you can listen afterwards on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio content. You can keep plugged in with what we are doing on our YouTube channel. Again, for now, at least we're not streaming the pods there. and We don't have the pods there, but... We're doing video essay, video breakdown content there. I just made a video on why Nikola Jokic is the MVP. I thought it was quite good. I actually think it might be, in my opinion, the best video that I've made. So go ahead, check that out. Follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram and TikTok are both at nerd sesh. Twitch is at nerd underscore sesh. Couldn't get nerd sesh. Really quite upsetting, but we'll work on that. And so with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.